It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning, happy VE Day and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. 75 years ago today, the world stopped and stood still. The war in Europe was over. People all over the country stood in the bombed out streets and listened to Winston Churchill's address that told them the Nazi war machine had surrendered to Allied forces on the previous afternoon. A nation rejoiced then, as we do now, in celebration at the end of the death and destruction that had wreaked havoc over a continent for six years. The people of Great Britain were free once more. This morning, as we hold two minutes silence for the fallen, please take a moment to think of your family members, your friends, and those that you hold dear. And by all means, share your stories with us if you wish. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This bank holiday morning, we will be taking stock of where we are, where we are going, and when we can expect things to improve slightly on the economic front. Last week, Dominic Raab made it clear that lockdown will need to continue for the next few weeks unless conditions dramatically improve in terms of the spread of COVID-19. The Foreign Secretary explained that the infection rate is still too high for the measure to be relaxed, but we still await Prime Minister Boris Johnson's speech on Sunday night where more announcements may follow. But it is bank holiday weekend and the weather is scorching, so I'm assuming there will be a lot of people out and about today. The streets of London are much quieter than normal because fewer people were actually going to work this morning, but we need to know from all of you what you are seeing out there, what you are hearing, and what you are doing this weekend as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Georgie Frost joins us with some money-saving tips on mortgage holidays. And because it's Friday, it is time for the Perrier Awards too. An homage to another brilliant week of broadcasting. Our homeschooling section is dedicated to all those people who lived through VE Day. We will have the history explained by Colonel Richard Kemp, former commander of UK forces. But we do want to hear from all of you, of course, as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So sometime in the next five minutes or so, there's going to be a fly-past of the Red Arrows, which are going to fly over the centre of London, over Whitehall, uh, past the Cenotaph, uh, possibly very much past this building. So if I see them, I will let you know what they are uh, looking like. I'm sure if you've never seen the Red Arrows, you uh, you really ought to try and see them at some point. But if you have seen them before, you'll know uh, quite how exciting it is to watch them uh, with their manoeuvres and their astonishing uh, aerobatics that they get through. Let's talk to Christopher Snowden, though, of course. He is the man uh, who is Head of Lifestyle Economics at the 
Institute of Economic Affairs because by by far and away the importance of VE Day will be very much um, threading its way through this show. We're also talking about where we are with the economy, where we are with COVID-19, where we are with the lockdown uh, because there seemed to be a bit of confusion in the mass ranks of the press yesterday just because some newspapers had suggested that you might be able to go and have a picnic uh, this weekend. It turns out that Dominic Raab said, well, you can't really have a picnic this weekend. Uh, just wait and see what happens next week. Chris, a very good morning to you. Morning. And a happy VE Day too. Um, I'm not quite sure what to make of the confusion uh, in the likes of Beth Rigby's mind because it didn't seem that obvious to me that suddenly something had changed on Thursday morning just because the newspapers had said so. No, the announcement was always going to be on Sunday evening and any changes are going to start on Monday. But I think the fact that the government was leaking this stuff to the press on Wednesday shows how much they are stalling for time. Yes. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that they are trying their very best to kind of somehow master the uh, the balance, the fine balancing act of not really telling anyone what to do, but kind of encouraging them to do things. Well, I'm not sure if they know what they're doing themselves, quite honestly. It seems to me that they don't know whether they're trying to suppress the virus altogether, as some countries have managed to do, or if they're still trying to flatten the curve. But if you look at their actions, they're all over the place. If we were trying to suppress the virus completely, we would close the airports, for example. And if we were still trying to flatten the curve and protect the NHS, we would have eased the lockdown off because the danger to the NHS passed weeks ago. Yes, it would certainly seem so. I think the problem with uh, what happened yesterday was that suddenly, uh, despite the fact that things were looking pretty good and they were reporting this R uh, factor of being somewhere between 0.6 and 0.9, thereby making it obvious that the... The, the virus spreading was kind of on the way, and it then went back up again. And I think that sort of caught them on the hop. Well, indeed, if, it, if indeed it did go up again, it's a difficult thing to measure um, very precisely, as I understand. Um, but I, the, the, the way in which the government has moved the goalposts on this, I think, should be profoundly disturbing to anybody who's interested in civil liberties. You know, Boris's Johnson, uh, Boris Johnson's speech today about VE Day, you know, was very good, and obviously VE Day is extremely important, but he said that we wouldn't be free today were it not for what happened in the Second World War. Well, I'm afraid we're not free today. We've never, literally never been less free than we are today. Do you really think that? Well, when else in history have all the churches and pubs been closed? When else in history... Yeah, but I mean, you know, you can probably live with a pub oh. being shut for a few weeks, and if you can't go to church, that shouldn't bother you. You can worship in private, can't you? Yeah, but nevertheless, we have never had more restrictions on our freedom of movement, what we can do, freedom of businesses to open, even in wartime. Yeah, but I mean, the fact is, is uh, looking back at what happened in, during wartime, I don't think you can even compare the two. In fact, it's kind of almost insulting. I'm just watching the red arrows flying past, by the way. I mean, just imagine if I was sitting here during the war uh, and what was flying up the Thames was not actually the red arrows, but it was the Luftwaffe dropping bombs on St Paul's. I mean, you know, it's not really comparable. And I think no, no, to no, do I'm that is saying, kind I'm of almost an insult. I am not in any way suggesting that we're in a worse situation today than people were during the Second World War. That's not my point. The point is it's ironic for Boris Johnson to talk about our freedom today when we have never been less free. And we've never been less free. Yeah, but I'm dis disagreeing with you, Christopher. I don't believe that we're less free. You know, I came out of my house this morning, I got in my car, I drove to work, uh, I had some breakfast, I shall be driving back to my car uh, to the supermarket to do my weekly shop where I'll be able to buy as much wine, uh, as much steak and as much uh, many courgettes as I like. I do not recognise myself as not being free. Well, that's because you are, as a journalist, one of the few key workers... There's lots of people working. There is lots of people working because they're key workers, but there's a lot of people who aren't working. A lot of people are indeed... Yeah, many of them being paid by the government to do nothing. 
I mean, well, indeed, they are, yeah, which is one of the reasons... Well, it's hardly not being free, though, is it? It's, you're not free if you are not allowed to have more than two people gather in public. You're not free... That's nonsense. You have to have one of a very small well, when, number of... When was the last time you weren't able to, to talk to people? When have we... OK, when have we been less free than we are now? I can't imagine that we are less... I mean, I don't... I, I can imagine being less free when I worked in former Yugoslavia once, when I couldn't go out at night without being stopped by the police. That doesn't oh, yeah, happen. Yeah, well, that was in Yugoslavia. I'm talking about Britain. Well, I haven't... Let's I, not, I, let's I, not I, go well, too much on, down this Well, down I this just path. think it's a nonsensical thing to keep saying that we've never been less free. It's absolute cobblers. Well, I mean, look at the, look at the legislation. You know, there has been no time in history when the government has forced people into their homes solidly for weeks, indefinitely, changing the reason... Do you know why. anyone who has been stuck in closing their home for the weeks? Churches, closing all the pubs, closing most businesses, and saying that if you want to leave the house at all... It has to be for a very restricted number of specific reasons. Yes, but the point about that is that they have to make these rules in order to let people relax and break them because how many people have you seen out on the streets where you live? You've probably seen quite a few, I would imagine. You've probably seen people walking around. You've seen people shopping, cycling, running. You know, to categorise it as not free, I think, is entirely wrong. Well, the, the very fact that it could be illegal for people to be walking and cycling... But it's um, not, though. ...that we're, we're rather living in a bit of... Uh, you know, under martial law. Yeah, but that's nonsense. I mean, I'm sorry that well, we have to, uh, go, we have to go on about it. Up. If you've ever been in a place where they have martial law, you wouldn't even say that. Well, I haven't, because I live in Britain. That's my point, is we don't, we don't have martial law. We haven't had this kind of thing before. We haven't had the police taping up benches and hassling sunbathers because we have traditionally been a free country. We are currently not a free country. I understand the reasons why that is, why we had to have a lockdown initially. Unfortunately, however, the government is now moving the goalposts and has gone from a position of saying we're going to flatten the curve, but we accept that people are going to get this. Well, would you accept this, that it's the scientists that are moving the goalposts, not the government? No, I don't accept that, actually, no. I, I, I think that for, for most of this crisis, the government has followed the same strategy. So the scientific evidence from time to time has changed. Niels Ferguson's um, predictions clearly were more alarming than what they were previously working on. But there was always... I think less said about that. Neil Ferguson, the better, to be honest. Well, yeah, uh, indeed, he's, he's not very popular. He's not, not exactly painted himself in glory. But, but the, the basic strategy throughout, despite people talking about a U-turn back in March, actually, I think the basic strategy until very recently, was the same. It was an acceptance that people are going to get this disease, an acceptance that it only kills a very small minority of people, that it can't be contained, and so we just need to manage it, but we can't expect to suppress it. Now the government seems to think it can suppress it, while at the same time not actually doing the things that are needed to even attempt to eradicate it, like closing the airports, getting people to wear face masks, getting this contact tracing technology working. It seems to me the primary reason we're going to be stuck indoors for another three weeks is because the government has failed on contact tracing. But the only places where closing airports has actually worked, really, is, is Australia and New Zealand. And uh, in terms of New Zealand, which is probably the gold standard for that, um, very few people actually go there. I think the argument about closing the airports down here was that there was already uh, the, the virus was already spreading, and in most places where they did shut airports, like in the United States of America, uh, it was already spreading like wildfire anyway. So I think the argument, and I'm not making it for them, but the argument they were making was that it won't make any difference. Well, I think that's probably right. I, I, th I don't think we can eradicate the virus. I agree with you. There are other countries, actually, like Taiwan and Hong Kong and Iceland, who have managed to eradicate it. And, and have yeah, but these are all very different places where not very many I, people go. I mean, London I, is the centre of, of, of world travel, basically. I, I, I totally agree. I don't think that eradication is a realistic possibility. No. 
But if it's not a realistic possibility, we should be easing the lockdown because the original objective of the lockdown has been accomplished. Yes, I think that's right. But I think, as I say, they have to play this kind of slightly curious game where they say one thing uh, and they watch something else happening. You know, there's no question in my mind that there's an awful lot of people out there and about. And this weekend, we bank holiday weekend, you mark my words, you live down on the south coast, there will be loads of people wandering about in the sunshine, there will be loads of people having picnics, there will be loads of people doing the things that the government have said they shouldn't be doing, because if the government says you can do it, it then becomes an even bigger problem because more people do it and more people do it with less care if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, but I think the government should be straight with people. I don't really agree with the idea. That we've had a lot of noble lies throughout this crisis. Take face masks, for example. We're told that they don't work. Eventually, they're going to say that we have to wear them, or certainly we should be recommended to wear them. Um, well, they haven't done that yet, and they've had a good two weeks to come, no, to come up with a reason for us to say, to, to say make sure stuff. you wear them. They haven't, got, they haven't got the face masks. Once country, if you look around the world with the, how the advice has changed on face masks, they all say initially, the governments, face masks don't work, don't bother with them, we need them in, in our hospitals. Then when they get enough face masks for the general public to be able to buy them and wear them, they, go, they turn on a sixpence and say, actually, the, the, in some places, they said it has to be... Uh, mandatory. Yeah, I don't know if that point will ever come, but what they have said is it's a good idea to cover your mouth if you're going into a public place like a supermarket or like the underground. Yeah, they have. Which but is probably which is probably true. I, I think it's absolutely true. I think face masks certainly work, certainly if you've got enough people wearing them. But that hasn't been the message from our government yet because they simply haven't got the face masks. They no, but I, think, I also think they don't actually want to tell people in absolute specifics what to do. I think Boris Johnson's been quite careful not to order people to do specific things, you know. To say to people you should only go out if you absolutely have to is not the same as saying don't go out, is it? Uh, well, no, you can go out to go shopping and go to work. That's what I mean. But if they said don't go out... Otherwise, you know, you risk being fined. That would be a very different message, and they don't want to give that message. Well, you, you, people have been fined for going out if they haven't got a reasonable excuse. Obviously, they, they have to let people go shopping. They'll have to let some people go to work. Well, people have been fined for dragging caravans down to Cornwall, which is entirely right, in my view, because if you're told not to travel very far, uh, if you want to go and do some exercising or walk the dog, you shouldn't be getting in a car and towing a caravan a couple of hundred miles to go on holiday. Well, I would agree with you, yeah, but the people have also been fined for sunbathing. And yeah, the, the, the risk of infection outdoors, as I understand it, is actually very minimal. The government expected people to be breaching these laws a lot more than we have. It's interesting, actually, when you consider what Neil Ferguson's been up to this week. Um, you know, if, if, if he was one of the people who was giving the government advice on this, as he clearly was, mm. and he was, telling people, he was telling the government that people aren't going to take these laws that seriously, and actually people took them a lot more seriously and abided by them a lot more than they thought. Yeah. It perhaps suggests something about, you know, Neil Ferguson was thinking, well, what would I do in this situation? Yes, exactly I right. What he would do. So, well, yeah. well, now we now know what you would do, but, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. another question. I mean, the thing about Ferguson, right, is he's had two estimates, he's had two goes at it, both of them have been wrong. So, I mean, I would, I would, I would, I would question why the government even went to him in the first place, given his history with mad cow disease and various other problems that he's come up with. Yeah, his track record has been pr pretty woeful. Yeah. I, as I understand, there was a kind of competition between Imperial College and Oxford University as to who would be the you know, primary modeler on this. Mm. And if you've heard from Carl Hennigan over the last few weeks, you'll see that Ferguson and he have a totally different view almost as big as the difference between Sweden and the UK. Yes, and that is the difficulty with following the science, isn't it? Because the scientists don't agree. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah, all these decisions ultimately are political, but I do think certainly in the early days the government was following its 
specific scientific advisors, I, th- I really do think that the government had no, you know, it, it accepted that it, it, the politicians didn't know the answer to this, and so it took people like Neil Ferguson very, very seriously. But I think we've had a, we have enough evidence now from around the rest of the world to see what works and what doesn't work, and we can start making you know more informed political decisions based on real world evidence. Yeah, I mean, what would you like? What would you have them do? Given that if you were given the opportunity to tell the government what they should do immediately, what would you have? What would you have them do? Well, they they should be allowing people to gather outdoors. Um, up to a point. I mean, maybe there should be some kind of limit on, on numbers. They should be allowing people to go around to one another's houses uh, within reason, and they should be opening primary schools and then probably a number of businesses, things like garden centres. Yeah, and I think that that's the route that they were taking uh, when those papers came out on Thursday morning, and I think that that will be the route that they still take, and I would still expect Boris Johnson to announce one or two things like that on Sunday night, because clearly the economy now is is the front and and centre of the argument, and they need to get it back uh, running again. I hope you're right. Uh, The the leaks that came out on on Wednesday night actually didn't suggest that. The main thing that was actually specifically mentioned was the possibility that garden centres might open and the possibility the government might allow people to do two forms of exercise a day, which actually wasn't illegal previously anyway. So I hope you're right about that. I suspect that there won't be much in it, actually. I think the government is stalling for time um, and uh, it's waiting for this contract tracing technology to get going. I I think that's also fair enough because they can't afford to have a second peak. The first peak was pretty bad, but it was manageable. Um, But the second peak might not be so manageable. And I think they have to be very wary of that. And we've certainly seen that in Germany, they're watching the the infection rate because they've opened things up a little bit more. And every time you look at another country, it's impossible to say whether they did it better or, or not really, because it's not over yet. No, of course, we are in it for the long haul. I kind of disagree a bit about the second wave. I think we now know um, more or less at what point you have to go in lockdown to avoid the NHS being overwhelmed. Mm. And I think also as you get more people who have immunity, it, it would spread less quickly anyway. But I think the government is always going to err on the side of caution now. Um, I think it's really an act of political cowardice. You know, the, the, the softest, easiest thing to avoid the hysterics from people like Piers Morgan is just to keep the lockdown in place and just disregard all the human cost and the economic damage that goes with it. I think it's very likely now that we're at the point where the lockdown is killing more people than it's saving. Um, But it's the easiest option for the government to say, another three weeks of lockdown, another three weeks of lockdown. Yes. No, I think think the alternative for them at the moment is a worry. But, Chris, thanks very much indeed. Chris Stone, Head of Lifestyle Economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs. Lots of you have things to say about what he said. Lots of you don't agree with what he said. Uh, And, of course, we will be listening to all of your views today as well because it is VE Day. Uh, It is a day of celebration, of commemoration. We will be having uh, two minutes silence at the top of the hour at 11 o'clock, so listen out for that. We'll also be talking to Colonel Richard Kemp later on in our homeschooling section who will uh, explain what VE Day really meant to everybody and what this particular 75th anniversary is all about. 0344 499 1000 is the number. It's Friday, of course, so it's Perrier Awards Day as well. Lots more going on. We are live streaming as we speak right now uh, on uh, YouTube, of course, and Facebook and Twitter. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's go to the phones and talk to Vicky, uh, who's in Broadstairs in Kent. Hello, Vicky. Hello there. How are you? Hi. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for calling. What have you got for us? Well, I'd just like to tell you about my dad. I couldn't get him to phone. Um, he's 96. Is he? Okay. He fought, he fought in um, the Second World War. Right. 
Um, he was stationed until 1948 in Germany, fixing it up, and uh, he was at Belsen right. towards the end of the war. Was Fantastic he like, liberating stories. it? Um, yeah, he yeah. said it was the saddest thing he's ever seen. It was awful. Um, and the Russians going home and oh, all sorts of stuff. But he still works. Yeah. He still drives. Does he? At 96. Blimey. He works himself. Good for him. Um he was a pioneer to make a couple of very good bits of uh, machinery that they use in hospitals. Okay. Um, That's amazing that he's still he working, does, though. He still does stuff, yeah. So what does he actually so what does he do now? He's an electronics engineer and a nuclear physicist. Wow. What so an incredible man. power stations as well. Right. And uh, he got headhunted at 89 from EDS. <laughs> Brilliant. So he worked for them for a few years. Well, does a little bit now and again. He advises them. But he's a he's a my hero. He's yes. a magnificent man. And his street where he lives, I've done a party for him today. Oh, that's sweet. And um, he'll be sat at the end of his drive and telling his stories. Fantastic. You know, social distancing, obviously. Of course. He's shielding. What an amazing story. What an amazing man. And do give him our best, Vicky, please, because um, that, that that is a salt he of the earth time. He got time. married victory week. Did he? My mum. Right. Yeah, they met They met as what broke out and they got married victory week. Wow. And um, had a little holiday in Margate. Fantastic. A few days. And then he was um, back to Germany. He got uh, was it requisition. Yes. Back to Germany. Okay. Um for another three years, so he didn't see her. Oh, part of the sort of recovery plan and all that. Yeah, yeah. it was lovely. That. I mean, the stories I could tell you. He's writing a book, actually. Oh, is he? Good. I'm really pleased to hear that, because that, these stories need to be passed on, because people need to know what, what people went through, even, you know? Oh, God. I t every time he tells me a story, I try and record it or write it, sit down, but... It's not the same as listening to him. No. But I couldn't get him to phone in. He wouldn't do it. OK. So. <laughs> well, maybe another time you can convince him after his, after his newfound fame in the uh, party circuit, we can do it. Vicky, thank you. What a great story. There's hope for us all. Imagine getting headhunted at 89. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Let's talk to Chris, uh, who's in Tring. Hello, Chris. Morning. Morning. How are you? Fine, yes, thank you. Yeah, what a great story that last one is. Incredible, by the way. Eh? absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, I, I was there. There, I was thinking, you know, what I'm going to do. You know, nobody's going to want to employ me by the time I'm seventy. You know, but so, yeah. eighty-nine, you get headhunted. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Anyway, I, I come at it from a slightly different point of view. I'm of a, a Polish background. Okay. Uh, although born in England, my parents actually met over here. Um, but we don't, as a nation, we don't really celebrate the day quite so much. I'm grateful that it happened. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have the freedom to speak to you. Right. My father, and if I burst into tears, bear with me. Okay. Um, my father... <coughs> my father was shot down by a German just... Okay. Um, escaped from the prisoner war camp. My mum was shipped out by the Russian bastards who changed sides in 1941, pardon my language. Yeah. Got shipped out on the Trans-Siberian Railroad, caught typhoid, nearly died. In '41, when they changed sides because they were getting hammered by the Germans... Um, they first of all they murdered every single Polish officer and buried him in the Black Forest at Katyn. Uh, released, they, they asked the Poles to fight for them against the Germans. They refused, let them go. My mum and uh, her brother, and my granddad went through uh, Persia, Africa, Gibraltar. Met my dad over here. Uh, <laughs> joined the West. And um, in 1945, 
Because of what Stalin said, not a single pole was allowed to march in the VE parade because he wouldn't allow it. Right. And we didn't get our country back till 1989. Yeah. Uh, my father was, um, he was given the choice of going back in 1946 because the English, a lot of the English, or not a lot, some turned and said, go home. Um, if he went home, a third of the poles that went home from England were shot as traitors because they wouldn't fight for the communists against the, against the Germans. So he chose to stay and let a sort of smell small sort of movement over here. Died at the age of 90 and never got back to his homeland. Right. Which is why we don't celebrate it. Yes. No, I can imagine it's very complicated history, that, Chris. Listen, really appreciate you calling it. I can understand you being very upset by, by those sorts of things that happen. These are the kind of stories that people have, you know, the kind of things that you don't even know what people are walking around with. And, uh, you know, I think it's quite remarkable that people can call this radio station and tell us those stories. So please continue to do so. Chris, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much indeed. We've got lots more coming up uh, in the next hour. Uh, this is Talk Radio. We are live uh, on YouTube as well. If you want to watch it, uh, you can. You'll see I'm wearing a Union Jack tie, uh, which is what I do on VE Day. Uh, this is Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. I'm sorry to say Harry and Meghan make an appearance as well because they've got a brand new house. It's a £15 million LA hideaway, uh, not very far from the Chateau Marmont, where, where they apparently have moved out. Maybe people got fed up with them. Let's say hello to Charles Ray. Charles, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Michael. Now, I have to say, before we go any further, mm. great story that it is on the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, I'm rather surprised they don't seem to have any, any mention whatsoever of VE Day. Uh, well, no, I'm surprised at that as well. Yeah. Others, others seem to have uh, have gone to town on VE Day. I'm, I'm a bit surprised at... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, mean I can understand why, you know, you and I have worked in newspapers a long time. I can understand why you might want to go with something different as a, as a, as a front-page headline. But, but you would have thought that somewhere they would have done, you know, by the way, it happens to be, you know, the 75th anniversary of one of the biggest days in our history. Yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit surprised. I mean, it's not as if it's... This is a unique day for, for a number of reasons. 
Uh, and, you know, when you think we were going to be celebrating it with street parties and everything else, and we've got to, you know, have a truncated version of it now... Yeah, it's a bit strange. Yeah, very weird. Let's talk about the, ba the, ma the main story, though. Prince Andrew, I mean, we only found out relatively recently, I think, didn't we, that Prince Andrew even had uh, this ski resort chalet. Yes. Uh, I, th I, mean, I think it's been... We we've known about it for about a year or so. Yes. Just barely a year or so. Um, uh, he bought it, I think, uh, uh, shares in it in 2014, so it's six years, sorry mm. about that. Uh, and they splashed out, well, shares, 13 million. But obviously they've got it on a you know, money to be paid at certain times. And according to the mail, uh, five million was due to be paid in January, which they missed paying. That's the pair of them missed paying it. Mm. And with interest, it's now gone up to 6.7. Now, intriguingly, he, he, he seems to be, have been saying that they were going to try and sell this chalet now, and with any money that they get, they'd pay off the debts. Well, it, do, it doesn't work doesn't work like that. No. You've still got to keep paying your mortgage. Well, exactly right. But, I mean, the suggestion, and obviously we can't make this any more than a suggestion, um, is that perhaps it was he got some help with the purchasing of this property from somewhere else. Well, it, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, because, I mean, the figures don't add up. When they sold that place um, down in Surrey for around about £15 million, um, there was about seven million, six to seven million spent on Windsor Lodge, which he had to, you know, fork out for. Yes. So that left, you know, even another seven million. So if they paid thirty million, then there's another six million that has to come from somewhere, and they certainly didn't get it from Fergie because she hasn't got a bad. Well, she's been brassic for some time, hasn't she? <laughs> she she's, she certainly has, and. Um, it, it, it's all it's, they've they've got money problems. Their money problems have been in the papers for many, many, many years. Uh, by way of how they get their money, especially the Duchess of York, and how they spend their money. And clearly, the, this was supposed to be this chalet. And I, I didn't realise until this morning. Maybe I just missed it. I didn't realise that they'd, they'd only got shares in it, not actually bought the thing outright. Right. So I'm not actually sure how that was. I noticed reading the mail that's intriguingly that legally he's got the upstairs in the attic and she's got downstairs. Right. I mean, it sounds a bit like one of these rather complicated sort of investment vehicles, doesn't it, in a way? It, it does. I mean, the, 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 there's a third party, i.e. the person who is now suing them, right. who obviously has a majority share in it, and he obviously wants, or he, she wants their money uh, to be paid, and I, I, I don't blame them. I, I, again, you know, it's just the, the Yorks, again, have just splashed out a whole load of money that clearly they haven't got, and as you quite rarely suggested, there is somewhere along the lines they've actually borrowed this money from somewhere. Right. Who knows where? Well, quite, because, you know, this is, again, this kind of shadowy royal world that we discovered when Prince Andrew first became uh, the sort of the spotlight from the whole Epstein situation. Um, uh, I don't even know where those investigations are going or whether they've gone anywhere, but he's obviously stepped back from royal duties. He's no longer now even on the front line of, of doing anything for the royal family. So you do worry that if he has been involved in some business deal that we never knew about, you know, what did that entail exactly? And if somebody loaned him money, what did he give them in return? Well, right. I mean, it's all right, very well you and I just sitting around here trying to work out how much money they had and where they may have got, got it from, but clearly... Someone somewhere knows the actual, you know, what actually 
that is happening, where they've, they've got this money. And as you quite rightly say, was it some deal, some murky deal? I mean, there's always these talks about, you know, involvement with Russian oligarchs mm. and everything else and, and, and Far Eastern businessmen and, and, and everything else. So it's all a bit murky, but we've come to expect, you know, that the, the, the Duke of York has, has been mired in a lot of muck just lately, not least of all with the Epstein scandal. Well, quite. And, and you know, where, where do you expect all that to go? I mean, will we ever see Prince Andrew returning to the, to the sort of the public eye, do you think? I don't. I don't see Andrew ever coming back on the royal payroll or on the royal treadmill, uh, you know, representing the Queen at various functions. I just cannot see it in, you know, any time soon or any time in the, in the future. There's so much has happened now. I mean, even if Andrew were to do the decent thing and give this statement or appear in a court to answer whatever questions need to be asked and answered, it's still going to be looking as if it's still too late he should have done this right at the start. Mm. I mean, obviously, his lawyers are saying, well, you know, stick it out, stick it out, stick it out. But it doesn't look good for Andrew, and it doesn't really look good in a smallish way for the royal family. Well, it really doesn't. I mean, the Queen, once again, will be uh, making her, uh, her speech tonight to the, to the nation, and I'm sure it will be, as ever, brilliant, because that's what she's mm. terribly good at, is, is absolutely just kind of defining the mood of a nation. We've got Charles and Camilla... Um, you know, presenting a wreath um, uh, on live on television this morning. Mm. You know, presumably uh, we've got Prince William and, and Kate doing something as well. Meanwhile, uh, over in La La Land, we've got Meghan and Harry, uh, who nobody's heard from. Well, no. Well, we we saw them. Um, uh, well, we saw them in a little video. Oh, sorry, we saw Meghan and little Archie in a video earlier this week. Yes. No, Very I meant. No, I meant in terms of VE Day. No, sorry, no, no, we haven't. We won't be hearing anything from them about about anything at all, really. To but do isn't that it. sad? Since his, his association with the military was once so strong. Absolutely, isn't that awful? I think it is very, very sad because there, there's a young man who has served his country, uh, and I, I, I don't use this easily, brilliantly, yeah. with two tours in Afghanistan. And we've said this before, you know, where he is, he, he's become almost, re he almost reached hero status with, with this work, particularly the work he's done with the charities for the forces. And we've been hearing that he has missed those connections with it. And he must be sitting at home knowing that this is such a, a poignant day yeah. in our history and he, he's not part of it. He's not doing anything. He's not, you know, he's not sending out any messages to the troops or the, uh, the charities associated with the troops. It's very sad, very, very It really sad. is, because also his association with individual regiments, you know, mm. who have got great histories going back all the way through not just the Second World War but other wars as well. You know, he must be sitting there yeah. thinking, what on earth am I doing? I don't think he realised... When it all came, the break was, was happening, I don't think he actually realised that his association with all those regiments that he was involved in would come to, you know, a chop, an end, completely. Um, and, and as I said, it's, it's, it's very sad because I think he would have been great at doing something today, especially with the, the lockdown and everything else, sending out some sort of message, you know, to the Invictus people or... Uh, the other charities, it, it would have been great. But unfortunately, as you quite rightly say, sitting at home, la la la, and doing nothing. Well, I mean, you know, they've got to probably presumably decorate or redecorate this new £15 million mansion 
uh, that oh, they've got given yeah. to them by a friend of Oprah Winfrey's. You know, they have been staying in the Chateau Marmont, being waited on hand and foot. Uh, they've now decided to move out of there. Uh, and off you go to somebody called Tyler Perry's place. I, I must admit, I didn't know this guy. I've not heard of I him before. I've never heard of him before myself. And I had to try to look him up. Um, uh, it says he's made a fortune, something like nearly £500 million. What he's done, I have because I've never noticed any of his work whatsoever. I've never seen any film that he's actually been in or known he, he's been in. But, yes, as you quite rightly say, it's been fixed up by the, their joint friend, Oprah Winfrey. It looks an absolutely fabulous place. Um, it looks like they're renting it. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that the... I can't believe they're going to redecorate it. I'm sure this guy's got it up to, up to scratch. Well, do you know what? She looks to me like the kind of woman that goes in and says, I don't like the colour of the curtains, let's change those, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, this is an, an interesting... I was reading this this morning, and it's, it's within a gated community, and it has its own gate. Yeah. So it's perfect for security, because the security guys can just watch the, the video cameras for anything at all. Not, no one's going to get near this place. No, no one's going to get anywhere near it at all. No, it reminds me of that place in Beverly Hills Cop. You know, that yeah. they end up raid, raid, you know, raiding with all the police cars and everything. But They all end up in the swimming pool. They all end up in the swimming pool, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you know, that bizarre video of Archie with the book, I mean, to be honest, you know, I haven't really spoken about it, but that book, the Duck Rabbit book, it's possibly the worst book I've ever seen. It's got the same picture on every page. Well, with the greatest respect, Mike, it's not for me and you, is it? Let's be honest. Well, I don't know. I couldn't tell if it was a duck or a rabbit. No, no, and I, I, you're absolutely right. Maybe that was the point <laughs> of the book. I couldn't tell if it was a duck or a rabbit, but I thought that video was... Megan and Har uh, Megan and Archie was reasonably charming. It, it was it was fine. I didn't have any problems with that. I've got more problems with the boot that they're involved in. To be yes. Well, honest. tell us about that. What is that going to be well, exactly? This is called F Finding Freedom, right. and it's and it's being written by two journalists, uh, Omid Scobie and Catherine Durant, I think is is the name, and they are supposedly friendly towards the Sussexes and get sort of tips from them. It is alleged. Right. And so people are sort of jumping up and down, sort of saying, well, you know, it smacks of, you know, long walk to free, uh, freedom from, yes. you know, Nelson Mandela, which right. is quite right. I mean, I like to change the title to, you know, the uh, Finding Freebies, the short walk to oblivion, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's going to be, uh, if it's supposed to be with their cooperation or certainly the cooperation of, you know, the anonymous friends that Megan has and everything else and set the record straight. I'm not actually sure what record they've got to set straight and what freedom they're actually talking about, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's not as if they were locked up in the Tower of London for, for a great many years. And Well, you'd think the way that she describes to supposedly her friends about what the royal family was like, that that was what she felt like. Well, um, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose you did. But I mean, as I've said to you before, Michael, this is a this is a woman who was had everything going for her, who was more than welcomed into the royal family, who who bent over backwards to try and make her path, given that the problems she's got with her own family, bent over backwards to bring her into the family to help her in, enjoy what was going on. And I still don't understand why on earth she has decided to up sticks and head back to the La La Land. I mean, do you think they'll ever come back at all? Uh, that's a $64,000 question, mm. to be perfectly honest. I, I mean, at the moment, not a, not a hope in hell. And, you know, if they come back, are they just going to be sat at uh, Frogmore Cottage? Are they going to go back onto, you know, royal duties? Mm. 
Um, it's it's hard to say that they will, you know. And we have to remember that the you know the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh, who's now retired, the Queen is getting on a bit. So the actual working members of the royal family now is are getting fewer and, and, and fewer. You know, Prince Charles is you know in his seventies, um, and and you've got left you've got left with uh, William and Kate. And when I say that, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I no. mean, they're doing a fine, fine job, to be perfectly honest. But they can only do so many of the official roles that are, are taken on. You need younger blood around. And, you know, we're going to have to wait for some time before the Cambridge's children are in a position where they can actually help out. No, exactly right. Charles, have a great day. Thank you very much indeed. Charles Ray, former Royal Ezra of the Sun there, uh, talking about the £15 million home uh, which is now occupied by Harry, Meghan and baby Archie. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is VE Day, so uh, I hope you're commemorating it, celebrating it. We will have the Queen live uh, at 9 o'clock tonight on Talk Radio, uh, making her speech to the nation. It was going to be a massive sort of celebration, a national day uh, of, of, of a bank holiday Friday for the first time in many, many a year. In fact, I can't remember if there ever has been a bank holiday Friday in my uh, in my memory. But we thought, since we do our homeschooling section of the show every day at 12.30, uh, where people gather their children around the radio and try and learn something that they didn't know much about, we thought today, what better idea to do than actual VE Day itself? And we've chosen Colonel Richard Kemp, retired British Army officer, former commander of the British forces in Afghanistan, because we thought he is a man uh, that would be ideal to tell us all about VE Day, what it meant to people. We've already had some amazing calls today from people talking about their parents and their grandparents and their experiences during the war. Uh, Colonel Richard, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Very good afternoon to you as well. And a very happy VE Day, which I suppose must mean so much to so many people connected with uh, the military, with, with different regiments, with, with, with the various different arms of, of the military, the Navy, the, the Air Force and, and then the Army itself. Um, and it's a op great opportunity, I always think, to, to just think back to those times and, and, and wonder what people went through and, and how they managed to have such fortitude um, that we could really do with some of which today, you know? Yeah, I mean, it means, it means a huge amount to some of the former member of the armed forces who uh, study war and whose sort of predecessor regiments and different parts of the forces in Warsaw um, fought in the, in the Second World War, which was, of course, the, you know, the deadliest military conflict in the history of the world. I think 85 million people approximately died in that conflict, which was around 3% of the world's population. Yeah. 1940. So a huge number of people died, and you know, vast numbers of British people, professional military as well as those who would never have dreamt of joining the army in normal times, and the Navy and Air Force fought. Um, and I think I think around 2.9 million men had served in the British Army alone um, during that war. Obviously, um, a large, quite a large number of those died. About 300,000 British troops died fighting the Germans. It was really quite an extraordinary time, and and the end of the of the surrender. How did that come about? Because obviously, you know, we've we've seen the movies, we've read the history books, but but the actual sort of final, I suppose, um, pressure that was brought to bear on the Germans and the, and the Nazi regime. What was that? Well, it was it was a massive military um, offensive from both the West, where British and American 
uh, Canadian, French and other allied forces fought their way from uh, Normandy uh, from the landing in 1944, which actually was planned and organized by a former pupil of my old school, Coach Straw Grammar School Admiral Sir Bertrand Ramsey, who planned that operation. Um, so, you know, thousands and thousands of, of Allied forces fighting from Normandy across Germany, across France and the Low Countries into Germany, um, with the, the sort of Russian meat grinder coming in from the east as well. Mm. So the Russian, the Germans were being pushed on both sides um, by what was what turned out to be overwhelming forces, which they could not resist. They tried hard. They fought extremely hard. And, um, won some 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 victories during the, the course of this this fighting, but they were overwhelmed by by superior forces. Yes, and it was a remarkable um, sort of strategic war as well, wasn't it? Because you know when you think about the Dunkirk situation and and all of the uh, the various D-Day uh, landings that that happened as well, you know it was a, it was an incredible um, sort of pincer movement, I suppose, from from the point of view of the Allies uh, trying to kind of even, I suppose, sort of overstretch the German forces and make, make them fight on so many fronts that they really just lost everything. It was, it was a, a, as you say, a huge strategic affair which, which, which extended almost around the world. And we shouldn't forget as well that although British people were celebrating VE Day 75 years ago, Victory in Europe Day, the defeat of the Germans and the Italians and their, their allies in Europe, um, but meanwhile, the war was still going on against Japan, and thousands of British soldiers and sailors and airmen were fighting the Japanese alongside our American allies uh, in the Pacific, mm. in the Far East. And uh, that, that, that part of the war, of course, didn't end until August 1945, which we'll obviously be commemorating in a few months' time. So I think you know the celebrations that occurred, which were wild celebrations, quite rightly, throughout the UK, were to some extent tempered, I think, by many, many families who knew that their relations were still fighting and dying in the Far East. Yeah. But, you know, Britain played, Britain played a vital role in that war. Um, the Americans were far more numerous. The Russians were far more numerous. The fighting power of both of those armies was vast compared to the British Army. But had it not been for Britain under the leadership of Winston Churchill standing alone in 1940 against the German might, um, that, 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 that war could not have been won, I don't believe, by, by anyone apart from Nazi Germany. And when I say Britain stood alone, it, it, it's very often seen as standing alone, but it wasn't in fact alone. It was supported to great effect by the British Empire, countries like uh, India, Australia, Canada, and other imperial countries around the world. And just, for example, 2.5 million Indians fought on yeah. the British side during that war. So... Um, but 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 without that stand in 1940, when the whole of Europe pretty much had been overwhelmed by Germany, when America had kept out of the war, Britain really was the the, the, the pivotal country that that eventually led to to the German defeat. Yes, precisely. We had a call earlier today from somebody whose father was a, uh, a prisoner of war uh, over in Japan or in Burma, rather, because uh, that's where he he was fighting. So he didn't even see the v, the, the VE day for uh, uh, for at least a year. Yeah, well, exactly, and and um, that that uh, you know the, the fight against the uh, the Japanese was was intense, and you know um, some people might believe that you know when the Japanese learnt in uh, May 1945 of the German surrender, that might have made them 
um, you know, maybe pause in their mm. actions, thinking that they might lose the war as well, but in fact had the opposite effect. The, J- the Japanese fought even more ferociously against the Allied forces in the Far East after, um, after VE Day and right up until August 1945. And um, pe- many people believe the Japanese would never, ever surrender, and quite likely they wouldn't have surrendered. And you know, many, many more Allied soldiers have been killed eventually defeating Japan, which would have happened. But if it hadn't been for the atomic bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, which many people quite understandably find horrific events, um, then at least a million more Allied soldiers would have been killed defeating the Japanese, and many, many more Japanese would have been killed as well in that fighting than were killed by the two atomic bombs. Yes. I mean, an awful lot of that sort of... um, I mean, of course, examination of of history is always a good thing, but but some of that kind of um, what I call Monday morning quarterbacking is never particularly helpful because, in the end, things happen at a time because of the time that they're happening at, if you know what I mean, and it's not always... Very easy to be cl- to be to have clarity and look back and and say, well, in a different world, we might have done something else because that wasn't a different world. Of course, and, and many mistakes were made during the war by by our side as well as the other side. Mm. Um, and it, you know, I, I I always find it um, amusing is the wrong word, but I'm always sort of slightly baffled by those people who are so keen to criticise, for example, British generals, British officers, etc for the mistakes they made, and British politicians like Churchill for the mistakes they made. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it's all done with hindsight, and all of these people, some were better than others, some were extremely good, some weren't quite so good, but they were all doing their damnedest to achieve the, the overriding objective of defeating the Germans, which, of course, they eventually achieved. And Churchill himself was the first to admit that he, he made many mistakes during the war, um, and, and, of course, learnt lessons from them to put them right. But you know, hindsight is an incredible thing. It's yeah. like, in many ways, it's like the situation we're we're facing now. I wouldn't compare coronavirus to Second World War, but you know, mistakes are being made by our politicians today on fighting this fight. Mm. Um, but you know, tell me one person who was in a position of leadership either now or then who w- wouldn't have made any mistakes. That they're always the, the people who. Uh, are the greatest critics are probably the ones who would have done a great deal worse. Well, indeed, or who have never had to make that kind of decision and just sit around all day and tell everybody else what they should be doing. But finally, um, I was also told by one of our callers today that her father uh, married her mother um, on VE Day but was then sent back again into uh, into Europe for three the next three years because an awful lot of soldiers were retained, weren't they, inside of the armed forces to take part in the kind of the recovery effort, if you like. That's right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the war, um, of course, ended in Europe in May 1945. But that was that was not, you know, apart from what we've been discussing about the Far East, that was not the end as far as the armed forces were concerned. They were then, um, uh, you know, many, many, they weren't fighting in Germany, but they were taking part in the occupation of Germany and the rebuilding to an extent of both our allied countries in Europe that had been, enslaved by the Germans, and also in uh, helping Germany to get back on its feet again. And we shouldn't forget as well that at that time there was still fear of the Russians, the possibility the Russians might continue to advance towards the West. And we kept forces there against that possibility. And indeed, those same forces have remained in Germany up until the present day. There are very few there now, but still a few. I served 10 years of my military career in Germany, uh, when we were preparing to fight the Russians, if they decided to 
continue the, the movement. So, and, and indeed, conscription didn't end. I've forgotten when conscription ended, but it was sometime in the 60s, 1960s. Right. And rationing continued through until at least, I think, the 50s. So the, the, the effects of the war, um, which, which you know, we can still, in, in some respects, this country can still feel them today to an extent, the effects of the war were, were, were not ended in 1945. No, exactly right. Colonel Richard Kemp, thank you very much indeed. Uh, former uh, commander of the British forces in Afghanistan explaining to us what VE Day meant, not just for uh, this entire nation and for the whole of Europe, but also for the individual soldiers, airmen uh, and sailors involved in the war uh, effort as well. Extraordinary day, an extraordinary show we've had today to talk about all of these things and many, many great calls uh, as well. And if we didn't get to all of you, I apologise. Um, we will talk to more of you as time goes on because it's a very busy show these days, an awful lot of new listeners, and which I'm very grateful for, which we're all very happy about. Uh, and so thank you once again for all of that. Coming up next, it's time uh, for what some regard as the highlight of the week on this show. Uh, because it's an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting and uh, the very, very few mistakes that I ever make. Uh, it's the Perry Awards coming up. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's VE Day, it's 12.47 and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perry Awards. Well, it has been an incredible show today. Thank you to everyone who's called in. And uh, now, uh, the pin pinnacle, uh, or the icing even on the cake, uh, it's time for the Perry Awards with Marta Malagon. A very good afternoon to you. Very good afternoon and welcome on the first bank holiday of Friday since the last one. Yes, it has been pointed out to me that uh, Good Friday uh, does happen on a Friday. I didn't mean that. I meant that apart from Good Friday, obviously, there, I don't think there's ever been a bank holiday on a Friday. That's correct. Apart from that. I just thought it was worth bringing up <laughs> Thank you very much. to get started. Very kind. Very thanks. Uh, <laughs> for the uh, uninitiated, uh, this is uh, the time of the week where yes. we look back over the last week of the so-called so Independent called. Republic mm. of My Grandma on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments, mainly my favourite moments, yes, I've got to say. of course. Um, I have no say in the selection of things. Absolutely not, no. and, and that's why it works, I think. Yes, I think so. As it's tradition, Mike, the mm. first Perry goes to you. Brilliant. On Monday, you spoke to Mail on Sunday columnist Peter Hitchens, and you delivered the harsh comment of the week. Yeah, well, this person wasn't smiling. Yeah. She had a look of mingled terror and loathing on Maybe her. she just read one of your pieces well, and knew who you were. Well, Mike, <laughs> I know. Hey. <laughs> He's definitely getting funnier as weeks go on. You know, he said he originally he said he didn't have a sense of humour. I think he has. I oh, think he definitely we're has. It out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Good. See, I well, think that give us another month. And yeah. You'll be like best and he'll friends. be back on Monday, eleven o'clock. He'll be back on Monday, eleven o'clock. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think in a month you'll be best friends. Yes. On Tuesday, uh, we talked about the new coronavirus um, government app that's been rolled out in right. the Isle of Wight. We were joined by Jim Kellogg from the Open Rights Group. And he won the Perrier for the brain freeze of the week. I mean, it seems to me that there's a whole range of things which are going to come into play, which together might be a collective of, of, of success, you know. But I suppose the difficulty, in, and I take your point about the, um, the due diligence, but one of the reasons that, that they have sort of got on top of all this is that they've wiped away an awful lot of what would otherwise have been the normal planning restrictions on doing anything new. Um, and that's been a success, I think, largely. Um... Sorry, sorry. Can you say that again? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I put quite a lot of thought into that. 
Was, was there a question in there anywhere? I don't think there was. I, I, I don't know. I just sort of went off on one. Do you think he just tuned out? I think he could have, yeah. Yeah. I think because you, you talked for a very long time. I think yeah. that happens when people ask very long questions. Yeah. It just doesn't work, does it? Well, it wasn't really a question. It was more no. just me rambling, wasn't it? It's just like a um, monologue. Um, and I think, you know what happens, I think, with people is that they're doing something else, right? Because yes. we're all doing it. You know, oh, yeah, whenever definitely. I'm, you know, I'm on the, we're looking at Twitter or we're looking at Facebook or somebody's sending me an email. Mm. And you can sometimes just not listen yeah. carefully to what people say. So what? No. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, um, call it Pat and Stebney wins the Perry for Confusion of the Week. Yes. Oh, good morning. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's still just, a, just about morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, morning, afternoon, evening, it's all the same. It's all the same. Uh, Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. OK, then. Well done, well everyone. Done, Another one for you, Mike. Okay. Uh, we kicked off Wednesday's show by talking about a professional... Fo- professor? Professor. Professor Neil Ferguson. Yes. And for that, you win the euphemism of the week. The man who said half a million people could die from COVID-19 decided it was a great idea to invite his mistress to drive across London, not once, but twice, for a bit of horizontal refreshment. <laughs> horizontal refreshment. Yes. I haven't seen that one for a while. No. Good one. It is a good one. Very good one. I mean, chuckle. Yes. For the glass. Euphemisms are very good, I find. Oh, yeah. 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 We get away with a lot by mm. using them. Dr. Mike Smith, uh, you and Giselle enjoy. What's wrong with me today? You've turned into con. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Uh, I'm sorry. But uh, I take it back. Oh, yeah, I'll get there in the end. Um, he joined us earlier in the week to talk about the link between coronavirus and yes. obesity. You guys, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, once it starts, you can't stop now. Anyway, you two try to work out how the body mass index uh, works, what it is and how it's calculated. This clip is a little bit long, but it's worth it. Uh, You uh, win a joint pair for Mathematicians of the Week. Let me help you out here. Hang on a second. Let's get the old Dr. Google out, right? Get five five foot four and convert that into... Uh, So, um, so five foot four... Um, yeah. Forgive me if you're listening to this and going, what the hell is going on? Five foot four in centimetres, right, is that, yeah, one, yeah, 100, in, yeah. 162. So that's 1.62 metres, right? Yeah, now multiply that by itself. So 1.62 times 1.62. <laughs> okay, so 1.62 times 1.62 is... Yeah. 2.62. <laughs> 2.62. Oh, so, so now... Right. Uh, the five, um, the twelve stone, um, put that into um, okay. oh. uh, kilograms. Twelve stone in kilograms is. Let's yeah. have a look. Thank twelve for stone okay. in kilograms is seventy-six kilograms. Seventy-six. Now you divide two point six two into seventy-six. So seventy-six divided by two point six two. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yep. Hang on. Seventy-six. <laughs> It's never ends. 76 divided by 2.62 equals 29. There you go. Or alternatively, you just look in the mirror. We got there in the end. Yes. Bless. Yeah. Make me laugh. It was it was funny, that. I did. I must say, I did kind of want him to do it that way because yeah. I was trying to establish and illustrate how ridiculous mm-hmm. the whole system is. Yeah. It means, no, it means nothing to most people. Well, listen, you succeeded. Thank you. Congratulations. Well and it's finally that time of the week. It's Is been it? a busy one for the Royals. Ah, yes. Been a particularly busy one for our friends in uh, Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, here's this week's uh, um, Meghan and Harry compilation. Harry. Harry. <laughs> Harry. 
you know, um, the book, I guess, you know what we're going to call it? Look, look, what are you going to call it? Finding freedom. Because we've been in chains. We've been kept captive by your family. Now we've escaped to Chateau Marmont. Have you ordered some more avocado, Harry? We nearly ran out of it. Harry, Harry, do we have to talk to those Cambridges? We have, we have a video call them. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> Ask me how I am. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear baby Archie. Happy birthday to you. Harry, let's uh, keep Archie out of the public spotlight. Let's film a video and put it on Instagram for everybody to see him. That's the one. That'll do. <laughs> That'll do. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, mm. Archie. And um, happy V-Day as well. Yes. Why not? Why not? Um, from Meghan and Harry to the classic word of the week. Uh, in the homeschooling section, it will be particularly good if you're one of those people who's a bit unnervous. Oh, unnervous? Unner unnerved, is what I meant to say. <laughs> did you? I did mean to say unnerved, <laughs> that's right. It's true. Well done. And um, finally, is mm. a news bulletin special to end this week's edition of the Peril Awards because there have been many incidents uh, with our news bulletins this week and yes. I think it is important that we draw attention to them just for the sake of comedy Indeed. and our own amusement. The first one uh, is for you, Mike, for crashing a news bulletin to ask for a cup of tea. How the restrictions will be eased on Sunday, <laughs> Defence Secretary Ben Wallace has... <laughs> I didn't realise that it was going on out there, you see. I know. There should be a sign. We can tell, like an on-air sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Anyway, you were calling for our wonderful assistant producer, Gabby. It's lucky I wasn't shouting something else, isn't it? Yeah. That would be awkward. Yeah, it would be. But uh, do not worry, because you're not the only one who has infiltrated a bulletin earlier this week. Afternoon producer and tanks enthusiast Ricky J. Freelove mm. always comes into work with all guns blazing, and this week has been no different. With the sonic boom of a red arrow, he wins the perrier for sneeze of the week. Has not met UK standards and so isn't being used by <laughs> NHS workers. Can we play that one again? That's ridiculous. Has not met UK standards and so isn't being used by NHS workers. <laughs> Sounds like a dog barking. <laughs> Unbelievable. But he knew the news was going from over there. Of course he knew. You know, that's a shocking statement. And, you know, um, newsreader Sandy Wall was very quick to react to it and she won the Perry for the dig of the week. Weather. And I have taken a tissue to the person sneezing in the background. They're all right. Yes, well, some people have been sent home for less. Well, yeah. You know. Be very careful, mm. Mr Freelove. Yes. And then finally, poor, uh, poor Sandy Wall as well was uh, the victim of the technical failure of the week. Professor Carl Sikora has been telling Mike on Talk Radio the government needs to review the science for this next stage. We want to get Britain back and back to work. <laughs> you can hear the mouse clicking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> bless. They're always the best ones, those. Oh, bless. But well um, there you go. That's all for well the Perry Awards. Thank you. And there'll be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. 
Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.